This episode of Bearing Witness with Anthony and Georgia was recorded before the non-guilty verdict in the Kyle Rittenhouse case. The soul that is within me, no man can degrade. Frederick Douglass. Bearing Witness, part of the Racial Reckoning Project, is a reflective dive into the events unfolding in this season of racial upheaval and, we hope, change. I'm Reverend Anthony Galloway. And I'm independent journalist Georgia Fort. So today is is one of those times, as, as we keep saying, many of the weeks that we start where there's a lot of things happening. There are pastors who have gathered in Brunswick, uh, Georgia, uh, with the comment of the defense attorneys in the case of the killers of Ahmaud Aubrey. We have the verdict of the Kyle, Kyle Rittenhouse uh, in the hands of jurors. Um, and just a lot of questions and wonderings about all the things all the precedent that may be set with these decisions as we get ready for the trial of the officer who um, killed Dante Wright. A lot to check in with in this morning. Um, and so keep your head up as we got a lot to cover. Miss Georgia, what are some of the things that are coming up this week that you're helping to keep the pulse on? Well, Anthony, I have been following developments in the Kimberly Potter trial. There was a bit of back and forth between the judge and the media, as well as the community, on whether or not cameras would be allowed in the courtroom. And it has been decided after several hearings that included both local and national media outlets, as well as some protesting outside of the judge's home, that the trial will be live streamed. We've also seen the the uh, witness list from the defense published online as well. So there's about uh, more than a dozen witnesses that will be called by the defense, including a handful of officers, as well as the former chief of police. So in getting ready for that trial, and, 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 this, and this is huge because, again, we're going to have be able to see what's happening in the courtroom and know what that meant for folks in preparation for the Chauvin trial. Um, and so are you, you planning to <laughs> cover with, this, with the same day-to-day coverage uh, given the live stream? Um, and I'm wondering how... How are you preparing for that? Because I know the toll that the George Floyd case took on you. Yeah, that is an excellent question, Anthony. I actually have been in some back and forth negotiations myself with local media here uh, because there, there's been this conversation amongst uh, the commercial media outlets, the nonprofit media outlets, and the independent outlets like myself on who can have access and what is the cost of access. And so uh, we're also working with the courts, Hennepin County courts, to decipher uh, how responsibility should be allocated. Uh, Because when you're asking an independent entity that maybe has a staff of, let's say, five or less to carry the same workload as a organization or a commercial company that has 50 plus staff, is that equity? And so I've I've actually been finding myself in this uh, really interesting um, intersection where I am having to advocate for smaller media organizations or independent media organizations to be able to have uh, equitable access to the courts um, because I don't I don't think that commercial 
media outlet should have a monopoly on covering what's happening in the courtroom. So it's it's been a very interesting conversation. There has not been a decision made. I I did submit my name um, to Hennepin County Courts in order uh, to be considered to be inside of the courtroom. They are doing a lottery system this time where they're just drawing names out of a hat to determine who will have access inside the courtroom. And the details about live streaming are still being determined. You know, we we, we began our journey in Bearing Witness as a check-in with community throughout um, not just the Chauvin trial, but what was happening around um, and we expected by this point, at the, when we started this journey, to be covering the trials of the other officers. And now here we are covering yet another incident and the trial um, that's going to be beginning um, in that in that case. And the of course the officers, the other officers will be tried later um, next year, or not later next year, but in 2022. And so as we prepare for the for the Potter trial, what are some of the um, what are some of the ways that you've seen community begin organizing to kind of keep attention? Because that was part of, of what was happening around the Chauvin trial is that folks were trying to marshal to keep attention and keep eyes on what's happening so that, so that it put pressure for folks to really get it right. Um, do you see similar organizing happening in preparation for the Potter trial? Well, I know after the, the uh, motion was approved by Judge Chu to allow streaming. There was some organizing that happened surrounding that. And uh, additionally, there have been other incidents there have been other incidents that have occurred where we've seen Twin Cities activists come together to advocate for equity and justice. For example, the incident that happened at Prior Lake High School where a student used the N-word and encouraged a 14-year-old Black student to kill herself. We saw a lot of uh, the families who have lost a loved one to police brutality. We, we saw a lot of the activists who were engaged after the murder of George Floyd. We saw a lot of them coming together to stand in solidarity with that student and her family. And that case actually is currently under investigation. I had a chance to speak with the Savage uh, Chief of Police. Um, they haven't said whether or not they're going to charge the student who was in the video, but they are investigating it. And it, based on Minnesota law, you should know that it is illegal to encourage someone to uh, hurt themselves or to hurt someone else. So there, there was potentially a law broken in that video that went viral. Um, outside of that, in terms of uh, folks organizing ahead of the Kimberly Potter trial, there, I believe, has also been some organizing around uh, the verdict in the uh, Rittenhouse trial. So a number of individuals traveled to Kenosha anticipating the verdict to come out. Um and so, yeah, you're seeing some movement and people, you know, getting back out, continuing to advocate for these issues that are related. And uh, we'll see. The trial is set to start November 30th. You know, it, those questions come to mind. Um, several of, of the congregants in the, in the church I pastor in Duluth it, um, have been starting to raise questions and wonderings about how 
we need to kind of prepare ourselves for some of the decisions to come. Um, and it, it just it, it made me wonder about some of the questions that community is asking across many of the things that we've already talked about um, from students uh, from many different high schools who joined with the Prior Lake um, students. It was clear that they were talking simultaneously to the issue at hand, but also speaking to issues that they felt have not been getting attention. They felt their voices haven't been heard in response to the anti-critical race theory crowd. Their voices haven't been heard about several incidents that they feel um, adults have ignored in, in from various school districts around. Um, but then also folks in community asking questions about what does it mean? What do the decisions that may come in these areas mean? What precedents do they set? And so there's a lot of questions that are are, are starting to turn up as some of these um, incidents come to fruition. I'm really excited that we get to have a conversation with, um, you know, and, and, and raise these questions together um, with a veteran journalist and one of the folks who got us going in the Racial Reckoning Project in the first place. And so I'm excited to bring in uh, Brother Freddie Bell, who... Um, you know from KMOJ, he's the general manager of KMOJ Radio and one of the um, one of the brain initiators of the Racial Reckoning Project. So I'm really excited to bring in general manager of KMOJ, Freddie Bell. How you doing, brother Freddie? Unbelievable. How are you? Um, I'm great. I'm great. I'm a little. I got a little bit of a starstruck because I've been listening to you for a long time. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be able to, to check in with you. Um, you got a chance to, to, to hear um, me and Georgia just kind of touch base on some of the things that are coming up and some of the questions that are being raised and things that are happening in community. I'm curious if it's, if it's raised any questions or wonderings for yourself. Well, the whole idea of civil unrest and racial justice is always in the forefront. And uh, ironically, with a lot of people thought that with the Chauvin trial and now with the Potter trial, that it would change the complexion or the texture of uh, civil justice across the United States. And we're not seeing that. And I doubt that we'll see much more movement after the Potter trial. It's going to have to go a little bit deeper than that. I believe it really will involve changing the, the hearts and minds of people of a nation, the changing the mindset before we can really see any real meaningful change in the way that uh, we interact with governments and public officials and law enforcement. And Freddie, I know that the Racial Reckoning Project was it, was, it was your idea. It was something you wanted to do, something that you felt was necessary for your audience at KMOJ and our community. Can you talk about uh, how you came up with the idea and what it was like trying to get this thing up and off the ground? I'm glad to. Thanks for the question. Uh, first of all, I'm a journalist. Uh, that's, uh, that's my training. That's really all I know. And I just happened to be a general manager of a radio station. But when I saw uh, the George Floyd uh, unfold, uh, Jamar Clark, all the different uh, things that have happened in our community over time, I just got tired of it. I said, you know, we're trying to do, we're trying to be a community service. This radio station is to be a vehicle for providing our listeners with information from which they can make decisions about their lives. And we, I believe we just needed to go a little bit deeper. Uh, we'd have a 70 hours of public affairs programming. This particular show is one of those on our radio station, but I believe we needed to do something that really responded in real time 
as best we could to the issues of the day, especially with those concerning civil unrest and civil justice. And that's why uh, we're talking today. That's uh, the goal of what we're trying to do is to give our listeners information as close to real time as possible in order to help them to navigate through uh, some very difficult waters. And I'm really pleased to see what we're doing right now. There's a lot more that we can do, but I believe this is just the tip of the iceberg. And, you know, I, I wanted to, 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 to touch on that just a little bit because, you know, being the tip of the iceberg, we imagine more. We imagine this being able to expand into a way of doing business that brings in all of these voices and perspectives. Um, given that this this project has daily news updates from journalists of color, young journalists of color with veteran journalists like yourself in Georgia, you know, helping to work with them, this check-in for community, are there, how do you, how do you envision this project going forward um, as, as, as we try to change the narrative to borrow from Georgia? Well, you have to remember, we are still a community radio station. Uh, under-resourced. We're not like the, the large uh, public radio stations that uh, you may be aware of. Uh, we're not resourced that way. So we're trying to do the very best that we can. And it involves uh, getting the attention, getting the buy-in from leaders from all sectors of our community who are concerned about making a difference in our community. The extent to which we can do that, uh, there there's only so much that uh, you can do, for example, from your own personal banking account. There's only so much <laughs> Georgia can do. But I believe when we can involve many people coming together who are like-minded, uh, some people who are curious, there are uh, people who have been silent, but they uh, inwardly are looking for change. That's when we can really start to make a difference. It's very difficult to uh, to really have an impact unless you're well-resourced and you have that ability to stand up an organization like this that is devoting itself to news gathering, news reporting, news assimilation, and do it well. And that's what it's going to require. So this is just a start. And I believe it's an alert to let uh, people across the state and even with some of our affiliates across the country to let them know that this is something that is needed, something that needs to be done on a continuous basis. And... Um, just based on the response that we're getting, it's uh, something that does have legs and it will continue. And Freddie, could you talk maybe also to like the importance of having accurate, timely, culturally competent information in this era, which has largely been, you know, overcome by misinformation and fake news? <laughs> I don't even like the term fake news. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that when you're talking about journalists, people who are really dedicated to the profession, who understand uh, what it means to be objective uh, without inserting their own personal opinion, it's interesting that when uh, Tiffany Bowie or Georgia Ford comes to a news conference or they're covering breaking news, there's a certain amount of personal background that somehow finds its way into the way that a story is constructed, the way a story is reported. I can remember when I was a journalist for ABC and we were covering the, uh, the movement of one of his officers uh, into retirement. I wrote my story, submitted it, it was done. 
and I can recall the news director coming to me and said there was such a different texture in the way mm. that you wrote the story compared to what we've been hearing in the media uh, for the last uh, several weeks. Well, I was not concerned with what the other media was doing. I saw the story in front of me and with the lens that Freddie had at that time, that was the basis upon which I wrote a factual, objective story about this movement in the police department in that community. And I believe that's the opportunity we have with racial reckoning, uh, with the reporters, the young reporters who are coming through Jay School, who are trying to find their way through this business. We need those different perspectives. We need those different lenses in order to accurately and fairly report what's going on in front of us. Uh, they say, and you know how they are, that an eyewitness can probably be the worst witness that you have. But without that, you'll never know the difference. Mm. Well, that's that's good. You dropping them gems. <laughs> the the um, you know the 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 thing that comes to mind here. You know, listening to this coverage um, and listening to to coverage from folks with those very different perspectives. The questions that get asked are just different. Um, there's 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 oftentimes where I have sit and listened and, and read news stories, and I, from where I'm sitting, would have asked very different questions. I have very different um, needs from a story, um, you know, in, in in some cases. And so to hear you talk about, um, you know, what that can bring to stories and to landscape is really powerful. Um, I'm, I'm curious for you, you know, so there's one thing about the work that we're having to do day in and day out from our various vantage points. I'm curious, as you have lived and, and watched um, your baby kind of unfold and, and, and go and bring in this, this information, I'm, I'm curious about how you um, have, have, how you have been. I'm just checking in on you uh, from a community standpoint, as you've had to watch and look at all this coverage and, 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 and help push this forward. How have you been doing throughout all of this season? <laughs> Thanks for the question. If you're asking about my uh, personal mental health, mm -hmm. uh, there's, a, there's a barrier that goes up. I remember it was President Clinton who talked about compartmentalization. And um, from the chair in which I sit, uh, Anthony, I have to compartmentalize in order to lead the organization and in order to give direction to the work that we're doing. So one day or one hour, I might be working with you on racial reckoning. The next 15 minutes, it might be uh, programming at our radio station or in the next 10 minutes, something else. So I don't uh, have the luxury of sitting back and digesting uh, what's going on. My journalism training has taught me to deal with what's in front of me, understand what I'm covering. There have been times I've covered things and I didn't know the first thing about what was going on. I can tell you stories about that. But in order to, to move forward, uh, we used to talk about being personally involved in the story to give a first-person perspective. Uh, and that's, that's okay. However, in order to, I believe, in order for, me, for Freddie to cover a story objectively, I have to take my personal emotions out and put the facts in the story in. And when that happens, I believe I'm giving my listeners, my readers, the viewers, the best possible perspective on a story that we're trying to present to them. And that's how I approach it today. And do you think that that same sentiment is still 
uh, reigning true for the majority of news organizations today? Or do you feel like the journalism industry has started to shift away from, from that model and that approach? Well, there is opinion journalism. I don't call it journalism, but that's the term they attach to it. There are talk shows, and I think some of our listeners and viewers uh, mistake uh, a talk show host, and they don't know whether they're listening to a journalist or not, or whether they're seeing a journalist or not. They're seeing or, hear, or hearing a talking head. And uh, unfortunately, in many cases, that person doesn't know the first thing about journalism, but they know a little bit about how to put forth information. That's where I think the line gets a little fuzzy between the people who are actually journalists and those who are uh, actors or hosts of different programs. And it's, it's hard to discern that this, these days because there are so many outlets. There are so many more networks. There are so many radio programs and now even podcasts. So it's very, very difficult to for the average consumer to discern what it is and to whom they're listening and what their background is. It's a mistake to con to assume that every person who's sharing information with you is actually a trained journalist. This this is this has been huge, you know, being able to 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 decipher. And I've seen postings about this and articles about this about how to how to spot, you know, the the type of journalism that's going to give you information that, uh, in a way that allows you to actually get a sense of what's really happening in the world. Um, as you know, as you contend with this, you know. From from your vantage point at KMOJ, but also just in general as a, as a, as a journalist, you know, what do you tell folks who are coming to you and saying, "Hey, um, what's real, <laughs> and how do I spot it?" What's your advice for those folks? Well, fortunately, Anthony, I don't get that question. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say that if the question were ever posed, and I guess you just did that racial reckoning uh, accomplishes that goal. Mm. You have young journalists who are working alongside seasoned journalists. In my opinion, and that is only my opinion, that they're bringing forth the, the information as best they can. Uh, these people are fresh from J school or are still in J school, and they're understanding uh, J school folks, journalism school, and they're understanding uh, and they're, what they're learning, and they're putting forth that into the reports that they're giving. So it, it's, I believe if a person is concerned, they should have, they should do their own research and understand, well, who is this talking to me? Who is this, whose article am I reading? Is it an opinion? Is it a statement of fact? Is this an objective story? And go from there. But I think to try to make that determination just on the surface is tough. And I can remember a news director telling me, well, Freddie, you just came back with a surface story. What's the real story? And I think that's what's important for us to understand. If we're really concerned about it, mm. take take the extra time. I mean, we have Google now. We have all these different search engines. You can find out anything that I want about Anthony Galloway or Georgia Ford and understand their background. And then from there, you can determine whether or not what you're getting is worth listening to or reading about from this individual. And you can move on to a different source. That's the luxury that we have today. But to, to cross out and not have a Georgia or an Anthony or the Tiffany Buoys and all the rest of it, that's a mistake. And I believe that's what Racial Reckoning brings forward, organizations like this that can give a fresh perspective and 
more often than not an objective perspective of the news stories of the day. Absolutely. And I'm fascinated by uh, this idea about shifting media consumption, because oftentimes when we think about the issues that are coming from the media industry, everybody is blaming the media industries. And of course, yeah, the companies, the outlets, the networks, they bear a a sense of responsibility, but also so do the consumers. Uh, As long as you're clicking, as long as you're watching, as long as you're listening to fake news or misinformation, as long as you're responding to that kind of content, companies that care about their bottom line are going to keep producing it. It's it's a business also. And so um, I have talked a lot about the need for a shift in media consumption. If we can uh, train society to consume media differently, to be intentional and think about whether or not this is a fact or opinion, we can definitely move the needle forward uh, with the type of media reform that's needed. And, you know, with that being said, I feel personally like the Racial Reckoning Project has contributed to that largely. But I'm curious, from your perspective, out of everything that's come out of this initiative that you launched that, you know, was your brainchild, what would you say you're most proud of that's been produced under the Racial Reckoning umbrella? Is there a specific story or a specific thing that has happened over the course of the last eight or nine months that just has made you especially proud to have uh, created the Racial Reckoning Project? That's an interesting question. I I think I alluded to it earlier in that the reporters with this project are not afraid to go a little bit deeper, unlike Freddie, who started out uh, um, I didn't have an apprenticeship. I worked directly with ABC in, as a journalist. And uh, I'm learning on the job. I'm fresh out of school. And I was challenged to go deeper with my stories rather than just taking a news release or just showing up at a news conference for a story, but understanding more what's in front of me. And I'm thinking that's, that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing these uh, individuals who are reporting for us who are daring to go a little bit deeper. I was a a little concerned. I started, I graduated early. I was uh, 18 years old when I got into the business professionally. And uh, my huspa was not there yet. (laughs) As over time, it's grown. And I'm seeing these individuals coming in now with the courage, with the enthusiasm to cover a story rather than what they see on the surface, but asking those questions, talking with the individuals, talking with the leaders, the folks who are directly impacted by some of these decisions being made. That's what I'm most proud of about this particular project. You know, that, that's, that's important. You brought it up twice, and I, and I want to just, just, just point it to it directly. One of the things in the description of the project, yes, there's the news stories, yes, there's the, the podcast, yes, there's the, the conversation there, but, but there's an element of racial reckoning that folks may not necessarily um, see just look, just going to see the content, and that is the next generation of journalists that are being um, brought up and getting an experience um, that's that's unique in addition to all of the beautiful things that we've talked about so far. Um, so in that way, I, I definitely see a very um, a, a very Sankofa-esque, Afrocentric uh, principle at root at work here, not to exclude any other principles around the world, but 
um, this this looking at who we were, who we are, and who we want to be simultaneously um, has been powerful. And it's in a and it's not lost on me that one of the places that I've seen that approach to engaging in this area has been KOMOJ throughout history, um, throughout my personal history growing up. This is a place where I've I've I could count on that kind of ethos. I can always see a nod to all three of those areas um, simultaneously. You know, as we as we check in uh, on bearing witness, part of the the goal of this is to check in with folks in community who are doing work in this in this space to to be able to weigh in on how they are doing their work. Um, and so, you know, in in the spirit of looking at who we were, who we are, and who we want to be. I got to ask this question. And, oh, please, I see you got it in the chat. So, so this is the universe co- uh, coinciding. Our producer uh, threw the question in for us. So I'm, I'm going to say it too. What's, what do you see next for racial reckoning? <laughs> On a basic level, I think that uh, we've had a wonderful opportunity to listen to and read the reports of uh, our journalists. Uh, I don't know if it was a, a direct decision, but we've had female journalists on on the case every day. I believe there are some male journalists out there who can do the same job as well. It's a great mix, and I'm proud that we led the way with female journalists who are doing the work. And I believe the next phase of racial reckoning as we retool and we understand where we are is, as I mentioned earlier, earlier, is to engage the larger community, those people who support the work, who are willing to put the resources where the work is happening. Without that support, and I believe we'll have it, uh, there's no doubt about that, but it's important to have that as a basis for sustainability for this work, this important work, and we just happen to call it racial reckoning. It's a news gathering from, I'll call it our perspective, which is actually objective, it's factual, and that's what we need. That's the next, that is the next phase of racial reckoning. I love it. I love it. And would you say, have you gotten any criticism? Because I think, you know, some folks hear the title racial reckoning and maybe make an assumption that it's not objective, that it's biased or it's leaning a certain way. Have you received any criticism about the project? And if so, how do you respond to that? You would be amazed. Not one piece of criticism has come my way. Mm. Or maybe uh, individuals have decided not to say anything. But no, no <laughs> uh, nothing has happened. I haven't received, and now maybe that you're putting it out there, perhaps I'm starting <laughs> mail <laughs> uh, in terms of feedback about racial reckoning. The project is that news gathering at KMLJ. It's about time. Mm. I've heard those three words. I, don't, I can't tell you how many times. It's about time. And uh, I will I'll just echo it and say it's about time that KMLJ could stand up this way and impact not only this particular community, but around the state and around the country. That, that, that's powerful. And I, and I just chuckle because I'm, I'm absolutely surprised that at least, I, at least I'm going to from the bearing witness perspective. Um, you know, I, I swore we would have said something that would have made somebody go <laughs> all the way off. Um, in, in some of our <laughs> let our hair down moments because <laughs> we had them, especially some of the venting that we we invariably had to do in the in the coverage of, you know, I'm I'm not a trained journalist and, and my compartmentalization, um, you know, especially going going uh, you know, with with my 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 faith-based background um as a as a pastor, um, even that, you know, allowed me had I had to take some moments to just 
you know, just 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 say what's on my mind and then walk it back. Uh, <laughs> so I swore we would get some feedback, but to hear that you hadn't gotten any um, um, is 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 powerful, um, especially having been in other places where just the mere presence, um, you know, invoked you know pushback or resistance to whatever we were about to talk about before we even open our mouths. Anthony, it's a testament to the work that you're doing. If if you are not doing the work. Um, there is a, a clear line that I see between, for example, this show and the work of Georgia and the work of the other journalists who are on this project. There is a clear line, and, and we're, mm. we're making it very clear. So how can you argue with the fact that this is an mm. opinion-based program based on the facts that we see in front of us, and we're voicing our opinion about that? We're being very, very clear. But it's also different when you hear the the reporters uh, mm-hmm. Faven and Georgia and all the different uh, journalists who are working with us it's very clear there is no equivocation there is no hiding uh, it's upfront so it's difficult to have an issue with the fine work that's going on right now it's a fair point yeah for sure absolutely well for people who are interested in getting into to journalism. Do you have any advice for them? I think, you know, you've pointed out that you're a journalist and by trade and just so happen to be the general manager of a radio station. And I feel like myself as an independent journalist moving from mainstream media into this space and knowing a lot of other people who are taking non-traditional routes, what advice would you have for the next generation of, of journalists? I would say, and it comes a lot from you, Georgia, is to follow your passion. Uh, I don't know that um, there are many trailblazers in what you're doing and your approach to news gathering. Uh, I would say that if you're looking, if you're looking to be a journalist, it's important whether you're going to be a pastor. There's a certain amount of training that goes in and being a pastor. Yeah. There's a certain amount of training if you're going to be a scientist. And then there's a, there's training in every respect. And I even can equate it to uh, professional sports. At the beginning of every year, there's something called training camp. So you have to go back to the basics. And I believe that it's important to have the basics in what we're doing uh, and then do the CEs, do the continuing education to understand your craft, understand the changes in the craft and how you can best adapt and assimilate some of those to make your stories even better. And also uh, talk to, and the journalists on this project have the opportunity to talk with Georgia, a trained journalist who understands what they're doing, who knows what they're doing, and learn from the best. And I believe when you have that kind of a combination, you can't help but win and also make a decision whether or not this profession is for you. You know, I, um, I, I'd be remiss not to point out that the, the deep mentoring that's happening here um, in uh, in the Racial Reckoning Project. And many of the young journalists that you spoke to came out of um, 360 Journalism, which is, mm-hmm. is, you know, is, 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 is another organization trying to put, take the, the task of raising the next generation. Um, I just love that generational, um, that generational approach. Um, and I, ha- and I've gotten feedback from folks who um, also have in a state of overwhelm. This is one of the other 
reasons why the um, the daily check-ins are so are so powerful um, is I've got folks who are like, if it wasn't for those 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 quick check-ins that allow me to get that, um, you know, they've they've had anxiety looking at other news coverage or looking at that, you know, you know, twenty-four hour a day news coverage, and, and there's a burnout that has happened in that regard. And, and, and it's been refreshing for folks. It's some of the feedback I've gotten uh, to be able to get, get it, get it in hear the hear hear the clips and then um, not be able, and it doesn't pique their anxiety in the way that they mentioned looking at other places and, and, and having some of those wonderings. And so I want to add that to the kudos for the young journalists on, on here and leading and following the lead of Georgia um, in this space. There's a powerful, there's a powerful add on there. I'm curious, um, you know, as as we always do um, in our show, we 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 ask our guests to check in uh, a, a, a very direct question: How are you being you in this moment? That's an easy answer. Every day, I have an opportunity. I have the opportunity to host a morning show, and so when I go into that program, it's not a journalistic mm. program. It's not journalism. It's not even opinion journalism. It's it's a show, and we're entertaining people. And so for three or four hours uh, a morning, I have an opportunity to, to shed whatever has gone on. Uh, I'm not looking at spreadsheets. I'm not uh, signing checks. I'm not uh, counseling anyone. What I'm doing is bringing Freddie to the table and I'm in, I call it show mode. I'm in show mode every morning for three hours a day, 15 hours a week. Uh, not counting the uh, three or four hours before I get on the air at six o'clock in the morning. But it's that time that I'm with me. I'm not with anyone else. And I'm uh, just engaged in trying to produce a program that people will enjoy. And hopefully uh, we'll keep coming back to time and time again. So Freddie is okay. I have that unique opportunity (laughs) uh, to be on stage in a completely different venue. And, um, that's how, that's, that's a relaxed mode for me. That's what's up. Miss Georgia, how are you being you in this moment? I am in full preparation mode. We have a very significant trial coming up on November 30th. And so I am doing everything I can ahead of time to prepare, to get my household prepared for the shift in the amount of hours I'll be working throughout the month of December. Um, And so, yeah, I'm leaning in in this moment. And I do feel fortunate because over the last few weeks, things have kind of slowed down. And so I've been able to uh, binge watch some shows on Netflix and hang out with the kiddos and get their hair braided up so it can look fresh for a couple of weeks here. Uh, Because I know uh, starting November 30th, once jury selection starts, um, I I anticipate I will be working around the clock for some time. Mm. (laughs) Going back to those days, you know, um, I'm being me right now, but actually, you know, it's, it's, Sports season, and so I've got I've got to cart my kiddos, my eleven and ten year old, to basketball. And thanks to Georgia, your uh, your husband Ceriso, I was able to uh, get them enrolled in his boxing club. Uh oh! And so I've been I've been getting to watch them um, and and kids just in community, mm-hmm. um, be in a space where they're training, they're working out. I mean, I've never ever in my life seen a group of kids be excited about sit-ups at the end <laughs> of, of a training session. And here they are shouting and counting as they're doing sit-ups. And, and it's just, 
it's been absolutely wonderful to see, um, especially after all of the things that have been happening with the pandemic. And so that's how I'm being me right now is just, just being being um, daddy's chauffeur to all the basketball games and my baby girl's hooping, y'all. So that is how I'm being me um, uh, right now. And it's been real refreshing. Uh, Brother Freddie, I am so glad yes. to be able to have you on the show and check in with you. Um, it's been awesome to see just and watch the brainchild. And if you hadn't heard it once, I'm going to repeat it again uh, in terms of the next steps for racial reckoning. Y'all, we need to come and support. Brother Freddie, thank you so much for being with us today. It's my honor. Thank you both. Well, Jordan, we're going to end the show like we always do. So I'm going to kick it over to Miss Georgia. In the words of Dr. Joy Lewis, may the revolution be healing. This is Bearing Witness. Bearing Witness with Anthony and Georgia is a production of Racial Reckoning, the Arc of Justice, a journalism project created and supported by Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities. In partnership with KMLJ Radio, the Minnesota Humanities Center, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Mm-hmm.